Miguel Aziz's first goal for Portsmouth. Into the path of Smithrow, into the box. Smithrow scores! A really deserved first goal in Huddersfield Town Colours. Just two weeks away from the World Cup beginning. Many Arsenal players going in comparison to previous years. Last World Cup, we had just two representatives. This World Cup, it'll be at least 10, maybe 11, with the likes of Bukayo Saka, Ben White, and Aaron Ramsdale headlining the England squad. Martinelli and Jesus going for Brazil. Tomiyasu for Japan. Thomas Partey for Ghana. Granite Xhaka for Switzerland. Obviously, Saliba for France, looking like he'll be amongst the starting center backs in the back line. And of course, Matty Turner, the pride of the United States of America, looking like he'll be goalie number one with Zach Steffen not getting the call there. And then the potential final piece is Omar Rekik, who has finally returned to full fitness, making the bench for Sparta Rotterdam's match this weekend uh, and hoping to get that call up to the Tunisia squad, which has yet to be announced, but we will know very, very soon. But we still have a few more weeks of matches before the World Cup begins. Uh, We have this past week, which I will give to you right now, and then next week's matches, and then that's it. No club football for anywhere from four to six weeks, depending on the league. It's going to be a much-needed break for many of our players on loan. Um, a, A good... Well-needed break for Arsenal. I think this is the perfect mix of players going to the World Cup and not going. You have the likes of Saka, uh, who's going to play, I would think, many, many minutes. Granit Xhaka, Thomas Partey as well, Saliba as well. But then the likes of White and Ramsdale. Uh, Tomiyasu, it's unclear how fit he will be. Uh, Jesus and Martinelli more likely to play kind of substitute roles. I don't know if Martinelli will play all that much. Jesus, I do expect to be used as a power sub. Uh, But it will be a much-needed break for some of those players. They'll get the competition aspect. They're proud to be representing their countries, but also not getting run into the ground. And then players like Tierney and Zinchenko uh, getting to be at home, uh, get fully fit, and be ready to what you know fight in what is a title race that Arsenal are in. Whether you like it or not, Arsenal are very much in a title race. And Manchester City have 10, 12 players going to the World Cup, almost all of which are crucial players for their country, which is great for them. It shows you how much better they are on paper than any other club in the Premier League. But we shall see how that affects them. They have to play Liverpool in the Carabao Cup two days after the World Cup final. I assume both Klopp and Pep are not going to put out top lineups for that match. Uh, Meanwhile, speaking of the Carabao Cup, obviously an unfortunate exit for Arsenal, although not that upset for a couple of reasons. Number one, What kind of competition is it in 2022 if I can't watch the game in any way, shape, or form other than watching freaking Rick at Rick James on Twitter's live stream that is so blurry you can't even see anything? Like, it's hard to care about going out in that cup when you can't even watch your own match. And second of all, with congestion and how little that cup means and how little props you get for winning that cup, happy to be out of that competition, happy to focus on the Europa League and the Premier League, FA Cup if we make a run, sure, But the Premier League and the Europa League need to be our big, big, big emphasis. It'd be great to win one of those competitions. I think Europa League, you're going to still see kind of that like mix of the A and B team, at least for one more round, depending on opponent. Premier League, obviously, is going to be mostly the starting 11 that we've been seeing uh, with Sanchenko coming back in, obviously. So kind of okay with losing the Carabao Cup. You never like to lose, but I couldn't even see it. So I wasn't that beat up as I usually am after an Arsenal loss. But back to what everyone came here for, 
No better player to start off with than Fuller and Balogun, who just will not stop scoring. The guy is an absolute menace. He is one of the best players in League One at the moment. He has been just excellent on the ball. It's not just his finishing. He has just been an all-around complete asset for a team that has needed a striker who can score goals at a time when they're often down a man and fighting a tough relegation fight. He played 88 minutes in a 1-0 win over Nantes. Uh, He had a goal, as I mentioned, two shots on target, one off and one blocked, and a big chance miss. Two successful dribbles. He was 9 of 12 passing with two key passes and a big chance created. It's not just creating danger with shots. He's creating dangers with passes, with dribbles, with his movement. He's the full and complete player. He also won five ground duels and was fouled three times. Uh, Early on in this match, he had an excellent run into the box where he received the ball well, uh, kind of flipped it over one defender, kind of got it under control towards the top of the box, took his time, and found a teammate running into the box who fired straight at the keeper, but that was the big chance he created. Easily could have been a goal early on in this match. Uh, He drew a foul just outside the box using a little hesitation move when he got on the ball, and then he used a burst of his great running power to get past the defender who took him down, saw a second yellow, and was sent off. Uh, And that was a huge turning point in this match for uh, Stade de Rennes. Uh, The defender, as I said, saw a second yellow, and they didn't create much from that danger, but from then on, Reims were really in control of this match. Uh, he controlled a long ball into his feet, drove towards the end line, and nearly scored across the goal low and hard from a very tight angle. Very excellent shot. He's come really excellent actually receiving the ball in tight spaces, which I wouldn't say is something I w- would consider was his strong suit at the youth level. I think he liked to receive the ball in wider areas often because he didn't feel that comfortable in it. But now he's excellent at receiving long balls, taking a touchdown, taking his time, uh, how he's made both these last actions I've described. Uh, he found some space just outside the six from an outswinging cross that, quite frankly, he should have scored from. He actually hit the header really nicely, struck it hard and right into the ground, uh, but it bounced up right into the keeper's arms. He was just happened to be in the right position, uh, but it was a good, powerful header, and, and you like to see Flo getting into those areas, finding himself space in the box for a crosser. Just a few minutes later, though, he was elected to take the penalty for Reams, took it low and hard to the right, keeper dove the wrong way, and, and he pushed them to victory. He then nearly created a second goal just a few minutes later, passed into the box from the left wing that led to a wide-open chance uh, for a teammate who from pretty much had three-quarters of the goal to aim at, also hit it right at the keeper. But Flo Balogun, far and away the best player on the pitch during this match, and far and away been Reims' best player. He's been one of the best attackers in League One outside of the likes of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. You can't really say anyone else has had a bigger impact than he has had. It's the underlying numbers, it's the goals and assists, it's the complete, complete game. And you have to say, uh, I actually saw a quote where it said he saw Thierry Henry and he didn't even realize it was him, he just wasn't paying attention. And Henry said to him, if you think you have what it takes at Arsenal, prove it. And we've seen that from Flo Balogun. And the way Eddie Nketiah is playing, I mentioned this last week, You'd have to say Balogun is going to take his chance here. If he has, you know, scores 20, 22 goals or something like that in League One, it'd be hard to say that he couldn't kick Eddie out of that second striker position next year. Uh, and maybe Eddie gets sold. Maybe Arsenal bring in another attacker and use Flo as a second striker. Uh, obviously, the likes of Martinelli can play in a center forward position if asked, but the way he's playing at left wing, you wouldn't want to make him do that. But huge, huge minutes for Flo Balogun. He has been awesome. It's been a joy to watch his progression over the last 18 months. He's really just added everything to his game that you need as a complete number nine. And the goals are coming in a team that doesn't create a lot. So good on him. It seems so spoiled to say that Charlie Patino has been our second best player on loan so far, but it's hard to make the argument that he hasn't been. And that's just the position that Hayland is in at the moment and the position Arsenal is in at the moment. It's a 
golden generation of talent coming through the academy, and there are so many more coming through the ranks. Charlie Patino obviously being touted as the best player to walk through those doors. Uh, he played two matches here over the last week. Played the second half of 45 minutes and a 1-0 loss to Luton. Came on and really kind of changed the game with his line-breaking passes through the middle. Found Yates a lot in positions where he could receive the ball to feet. Yates has been awesome over the last month, winning the championship player of the month. Uh, Patino, by the numbers, was 19 of 29 passing. Completed his only cross at a shot off target, which was a half volley that he struck with his weak foot that just went flying over. Uh, he completed a dribble, won two ground duels and an aerial duel. Uh, blocked a shot, had an interception, and a tackle. As I've mentioned over and over again, showing he's not afraid to put a foot in and win a tackle. Uh, the one thing I will say in this match, something that he's done really well, uh, is has sprayed the ball both wings, right? Like whether hard on the ground, uh, in the air, he's really been excellent at it. This match, he didn't quite have it. He actually put one ball that I thought was excellent, uh, but the player kind of vacated that position at a weird time. Uh, but it was a good idea and a, and a well-struck pass. Uh, his body fainting in this match was just, I mean, defenders didn't even get close to him. They they were completely fooled, completely fooled. And two times it led to Charlie being able to progress the ball with his feet before having to make one of those excellent line-breaking passes. Uh, overall, you know, a pretty solid match from Charlie as they were chasing the match. Uh, but as I said, he had that one thing he was kind of struggling with. He then played 79 minutes in a 3-0 loss to Burrow. Uh, Middlesbrough, which was really not Blackpool's best match. One of their worst matches of the last month. Uh, they were just sloppy all over the pitch. Defending was shocking at times. Charlie was all right in this match, 26 of 39 passing. He seemed a little bit tired, I'm not going to lie. That defensive aspect I've been talking about, he was just a half step or a quarter step late a few times, only winning two of nine duels uh, and having three fouls. I think the World Cup break will be helpful. He's got one more match before then. But he really does win aerial duels with such ease. And, you know, we talked about that chart that they um, that I was speaking about a few weeks ago where he's in the 99th percentile of aerial duels. It's interesting to see because it almost feels like players aren't even trying to win aerial duels against him. Obviously, he's such a tall frame, but he always finds himself in such pace. He reads the game so perfectly that he finds himself under the ball in the right areas. Uh, and late in this match was his best action, I thought. He made a great pass, like a world-class pass over the top to Yates to start a counterattack. Charlie received the ball kind of off of a clearance just outside of his own box and basically played it completely across the pitch over the top of two defenders directly to Yates' foot. Awesome pass. I mean, that kind of shit is like you just know a special player is in him because you don't see those passes every day. Staying in the championship, Brooke Norton Cuffey had an interesting week. 90 minutes and a 2-1 loss to Norwich. But this 90 minutes was played at left wing back. And I've mentioned he's come on a couple of times as a substitute to play at left wing back. But he's never really played a full match there. And I really liked what I saw. It was a different Brook Norton Cuffey than I'm used to watching. It was a much more technical Brook Norton Cuffey. It was a much more secure and possession Brook Norton Cuffey. There was less of the bursting around teammates. I mean, bursting around opposition and, and, and getting you know to the byline and crossing from there. And it was a lot more of getting in the half spaces, kind of becoming a little bit more inverted, uh, playing some in-swinging crosses with his right foot. It was interesting. Uh, I, he actually cut in and took a shot with his right foot. I, I was kind of blown away by this performance for someone who has very little uh, history of playing there. By the numbers, 29 of 32 passing. He had a key pass and a big chance created early on in the match. A shot on target, as I mentioned. Three out of five ground duels won. He won both of his aerial duels and won three tackles. 
Uh, early on, as I said, he had that big chance created where he made a great pass to the back post to a wide-open runner coming in who received the ball just on the six-yard box and should have scored. Really, there was no reason for that player not to score first time anywhere on, on target, uh, but hit the side netting. Uh, as I mentioned, he found himself in a lot more space on the left side. He wasn't all the way at the, the sideline, right? So he was kind of receiving the ball in the half spaces in pockets between midfielders and defenders, and he kind of learned pausa almost. Like he was taking his time on the ball. He wasn't just going full speed. At times he did when he felt he had the opportunity, but you know he uses both feet so perfectly uh, in terms of passing ability. It opened up a lot of lanes for him. Uh, this could be an interesting position for him uh, moving forward. Uh, he made a great recovery tackle in the box uh, where a player was driving against him. He used his left foot to make the tackle and poke it away and then quickly reacted and threw his body in front of a shot to block it from just outside the six-yard box. Uh, his crossing looked better, as good as it's looked all year from this side with those in-swinging right-footed crosses. He does need to work on the left-footed cross if he's going to play on this side, but he didn't force himself into those positions too often, so it was interesting to see, uh, and he found himself in much more advanced positions, as I said, kind of in that inverted role in the half space, and you know, this was maybe his best game at the championship level, or at least a top three performance. I'll have to go back and look at some of those other ones, but I was truly, truly blown away, and as I mentioned, he even cut in to take a hard curling shot towards the near post, low and hard. Uh, it was saved, but it's interesting to see that aggression from him coming in off that left side. Uh, he's, As I mentioned, they've been trying to rest him a little bit more, uh, so he only played 13 minutes at right wing back in a 1-0 win over Sheffield United. Did what he had to do. Uh, was strong in possession. He made a couple of tackles in such a short period of time. Two clearances, an interception. Uh, won a ground duel. He won both of his aerial duels again and uh, four of six passing. So a great week for Brook Norton Cuffey. One more match before the World Cup break where he'll get some much-needed rest. But left wing back, I don't know, maybe in training over the next four weeks during the World Cup break, he'll be training at left wing back. Interesting, interesting time for him to be playing there. And I think it solves a lot of the issues uh, for him in possession uh, in terms of playing in the half spaces because that in-swinging ball he plays from the left half space actually causes a lot of problems the way that it comes in over the top of defenders kind of on a more vertical line. It, it caused some issues, and I'm interested to see if that's where he's played more in the second half of the year. Uh, speaking of wing backs, we got a couple more here who had some interesting times over the last week. Ryan Alibiosu had one of his best matches. Uh, 90 minutes and a 3-2 loss to Livingston. Three clearances, two interceptions, six tackles. He won eight of ten ground duels. He won five of nine aerial duels. He was fouled twice, 24 of 33 passing and a key pass. He was all over the pitch. Uh, his decision-making is getting so much better in tight spaces in the first phase and breaking the press. And that's key for that jump from youth to senior football, right? The youth football, the pressing is a lot less coordinated uh, it's a little bit more frantic, and there isn't maybe as much to learn, I would say. Uh, you, you kind of, it's not throughout the match, it's never constant, it's never consistent, but at senior football levels, it often can be. And I think Alibiosu struggled at first, often just reverting to playing the ball into channels uh, and into his striker up the line, but he's gotten a lot better in tight spaces in that first phase, as I mentioned, using both feet uh, to play with midfielders, play give and goes. Uh, make the right decisions. Uh, he's gotten a lot stronger in the air. As I mentioned early on, he was struggling in aerial duels. He's now become, he's a big body, and he needs to be able to use that body correctly. Uh, I will say he does need to keep that first touch under control a little better. Uh, I think it has gotten tighter as he's understood that he has to play in tighter spaces, but, you know, he loses the ball once or twice in the second phase because of, uh, of a loose first touch. 
he has very long legs. His physique is very interesting for a player at this position. He's able to make tackles without having to overcommit and kind of, he can almost reach from far away, but then doesn't have as long of a way to go to recover, if you know what I mean. It's, it's kind of hard to describe, but visually easy to see. Uh, and again, he was very strong defensively in this match, aggressive in a very smart way. Uh, and overall, you know, made a huge difference. Unfortunate for Kilmarnock to lose 3-2, to two, but Alibiosu is starting to really hit his stride since coming back from injury. This is three very good matches in a row. And he started brightly uh, in a 4-0 loss to Dundee United and played 34 minutes, but he got injured. Uh, he was 8-11 of 11 passing, had a key pass, had a successful dribble. Unfortunately, picked up an injury, as I said. Uh, one more match for Kilmarnock before the World Cup break, but then they get some time off, and hopefully Alibiosu can recover. On to our next wing back, Harry Clark played 29 minutes at right wing back in a 2-1 loss to Birmingham, just coming on to you know help them chase the game. He won three of four ground duels, an aerial duel, five of nine passing a key pass, and two successful dribbles out of two attempts. I will say, though, he came in, and it was one nil down, and they lost his man on the back post. On a corner kick just seven minutes after coming on, and a goal was scored. Really his fault completely. There's no way around it. He It was man-to-man uh, set-piece coverage. His man got around him and had an open header at the back post. It was a well-hit header. I mean, it was a tight angle. He hit it in off the post. An excellent, excellent header, but unfortunate for Harry Clark. He did, did then did help try and push forward, try and get a point. Uh, as they were chasing the game, they did get end up getting one goal. He looked very comfortable on the ball in the advanced positions. You know, we were talking about how he needs to find that middle ground between running willy-nilly and being too defensive uh, because he is most impactful in that final third. Uh, and I think he did grow into the game after that early mistake. Uh, he then got the start in a 2-0 win over Luton, uh, playing 90 minutes at right wing back. A successful dribble, 6-14 of 14 passing, 5 out of 6 ground duels, won 6 clearances, 2 interceptions, 3 tackles. He did really well in this match to find his strikers as an outlet uh, when they had their defenders kind of pinned. Uh, Liam DeLapp, obviously a big body and a, and a big striker, he often was able to kind of find his way into the right half space, and Harry Clark was able to get a ball into his feet a couple of times, helping Stoke push forward uh, towards the goal and get out of their own third he was loose with his first touch a few times, uh, similar to Alibiosu. I think the two of them aren't the most technically secure. They are very good physical prospects. They're very aggressive, uh, but that first touch is just loose sometimes, and you can get into trouble as a wingback in that situation if you lose the ball. Uh, but he was very strong in the air, uh, in the box, all game. <laughs> almost looked like he was making up for that mistake he made against Birmingham. Uh, he Almost all of those clearances were set pieces, Harry Clark, winning the ball in the box, and heading it far away. So Clark has been very impressive defensively. I mean, the biggest worry for me has always been his defensive ability. I think Stoke are happy to see that, but at the same time would like to see him get forward a little more often. In preseason, he was doing that quite well. Uh, but obviously, he's been dealing with some shin injuries. So, you know, again, another player who will have one more match and then get a break for a few weeks, and hopefully after, you know, getting to train for four weeks and some rest, will come back strong for the second half of the year. Alex Kirk continues, though, to be the brightest defensive prospect for Arsenal on loan this year. I mean, Brick Norton Cuffey, obviously a much bigger prospect. Alibiosu, probably a bigger prospect as well. But Alex Kirk has been unbelievable and arguably the best defender in the Scottish Championship. He scored, again, that's two goals in four matches, scored in a 1-1 draw with Greenock Morton as I United are able to stay in first and three points ahead of Greenock. Uh, he won man of the match. He was in the right place at the right time to head in a goal. And I listened to his post-match interview, 
And the kid is just thrilled. I mean, he couldn't stop smiling. He is so well-liked by the manager and the other players and the fans. It is awesome to see because this was, I mean, this was by far and away the most confusing loan. I think, number one, because not everyone was expecting Alex Kirk to go on loan. Uh, You know, there are other defenders at Arsenal that I would say are probably bigger prospects who didn't go on loan. Zach Oz, Amon Louis, they're better ball-playing prospects. But Alex Kirk has been solid as a rock. He is in the Dan Ballard mold. I think he comes back and goes on loan to the championship next year in England. Uh, I mean, he's just been awesome. And he's been I United's one of their best players. I'm excited during this World Cup break. I know that they'll continue to play, obviously, because the Scottish Championship does not take a break. But I'm excited to kind of go back and watch him a little bit more and do a little bit more scouting on his ball playing ability and see what his future can be because he's still very young. And, you know, it, when you make this kind of leap and you make it so seamlessly, it's it's impressive. It says a lot about the mentality of a player. Uh, and Alex Kerr, clearly a young kid with a strong mentality. You watch him speak and you can tell he believes in himself. Uh, speaking of strong mentalities and bouncing back and, and fighting through adversity, Nikolai Moller has now made that striker position his own. He's finally healthy. He got 90 minutes in a 2-1 win over, and I'm going to butcher this, De Grafschop. Uh, he had a shot on target, one off, and a big chance missed. 12 of 15 passing, and he won two aerial duels. He missed a great goal-scoring opportunity in the ninth minute. Free header just inside the penalty spot. He kind of dove at it to try and put it away off the ground into the far corner and missed it just wide. But again, everything last year was about him not getting into the right scoring opportunities, not having that problem this year, and creating a lot. Uh, in the 37th minute, again, he got into a great scoring opportunity. He would have had a tap-in if his teammate was willing to pass him instead of taking a selfish, tight-angle shot. Unfortunate for Nikolai that he didn't get the pass because it would have been a goal, but he's playing great. He is a big reason for Den Bosch's uptick in form and goal scoring. His movement is so good and so distracting because of his size. It's just hard not to follow him if you're a center back. So great to see him healthy, playing 90 minutes, which is rare for Nikolai Muller to get the ability to play with no injury and, and feel healthy and feel confident. So big ups for Nikolai Muller. Uh, the Iresta Divise, that's the second division in the Netherlands, will take a small break during the World Cup. He's got one more match before that, and then they'll take like a three, four-week break. But they'll come back uh, December, I think 11th or 12th is their first match back, so a week or two before other leagues. Now we go to our goalie segment. And Ovi Ejahiri has been far and away the best Arsenal goalie on loan. And, you know, Arthur Okonkwo was a bigger prospect than him. But Ovi Ejahiri has been unbelievable. He has truly been one of the best goalies that I've watched all season in any level of football. Obviously, when you're playing in non-professional football, it comes with a little bit of an asterisk. But the way he reacts and his understanding of positioning is spectacular. Uh, he played in a 1-1 draw with Barnett, forcing a replay in the FA Cup, which is amazing for Chelmsford. He made an unbelievable save in the 25th minute as a ball was whipped in, headed on the front post to the back post. I mean, this is just... An, I, I gotta share this clip on Twitter if you haven't seen it, because it's unbelievable. Ball whipped in, headed from the front post to the back post. So Ejahiri is on his front post. He follows with the ball, hard header across to the back post. The... Player, opposition player at the back post hits a hard header into the top corner, and Ejahiri dives across the entire net to get a hand to it to tip it onto the bar and over the net. Insane reaction save, best save of the season uh, that I've seen from any of the Arsenal lone goalkeepers. Uh, there was nothing he could have done about the goal as a cross went in later in the match, across the box, headed back in, and eventually an open player had a free shot on goal. I mean, they were outmatched in the box. Nothing for Ejahiri to do. He then made a great save in a 1v1 in the 53rd minute, stopping a shot 
where a player tried to play it through his legs, then had another insane reaction save as a low hard cross was played in. First time shot to the far post, but Ovi got a hand to it to push it out of play. The reaction saves are crazy, but they say to me more that he's in the positions where he can make a save, right? I think Okonkwo has struggled a lot with positioning. He's a big body, uh, he's good, has good reactions, but I feel that his starting position has really put him at a fault and made it hard for him to make saves. Uh, he's had his angles covered well, kept a, then, you know, they obviously they forced an FA Cup replay, which was huge for them. The goal they scored was, I mean, they were celebrating like they had won the damn thing, but good on them. They played an excellent match, Chelmsford. Uh, going back to the league, though, we kept a clean sheet in the match with Dover. Uh, Chelmsford are now fourth in the National League South. They've only allowed 10 goals in 16 matches, which is by far the best defensive form. But for Ejikiri, it gets even better. He has played 13 matches in the league. He has nine clean sheets and has allowed four goals. Four goals in 13 matches and nine clean sheets. And yes, there's been the occasional match where not much has happened, as happens at this level. But for the most part, Ejikiri has just been unbelievable. He has three or four penalty saves. He has some of the most insane reaction saves I've seen. And he's keeping Chelmsford amongst the promotion clubs. And you know what? That's great for Ejikiri. I think he likely to go on loan next year to a much higher division. Uh, and, you know, see what he can do. Arsenal are in a position where the goalkeeper position, yes, they have Ramsdale. Yes, Matt Turner is a number two. Yes, Carl Hines, a huge prospect. Uh, got his first start, an unfortunate one in the Carabao Cup, I forgot to mention. Didn't play great. He got unlucky slipping. Uh, I mean, whether that's nerves or whatever it is, it happens. But Ejihiri is going to make a name for himself this year and has made a name for himself this year and is somebody to watch over the next couple of years. Staying uh, in those non-professional leagues, not in the top four leagues of England. Tom Smith played in a 2-0 loss to Woking. He made a great save in the first half on a header off of a cross, jumping back to his right to make the save. Uh, as I've said, he's a lot better saving to his right. I don't know what that is. I don't know enough about goalkeeping training to see if that's something that's fixable. I'm going to look into kind of Tom Smith at a youth level and see if that was the case. But for whatever reason, he is much better jumping to his right. He makes a lot of saves going that way and struggles a bit going to his left. It's an interesting thing. Uh, not much he could have done about the first goal. Just kind of came in, cross, easy header. Uh, and then the second goal came off of kind of he had a mishit goal kick where it wasn't a total mishit. He got it up in the air, went over the halfway line, but none of his players were around. And so the opposition had a free header. And the header came in over his center backs onto a player who had a 2v1 against the goalie. Not much Tom Smith could have done there. Not a great goal kick. Probably about half his fault, but a weird effort by the rest of the Bromley team. Arthur Conquo got one match in, keeping a clean sheet and a 1-0 win over Leighton Orient. He made a nice save on a hard shot towards his near post in the first half, but other than that, did not have much to do. The last player who played for Arsenal over the last week was Tim Akinola playing the final 22 minutes in a 1-0 win over Northampton in the FA Cup as Chesterfield move on. Uh, Tim Akinola did pick up a yellow card, but the curse of Tim Akinola does live on. The guy can't get a start, and it's unclear why. The fans seem to think he's one of their best midfielders. He's aggressive, uh, and he wants to be on the pitch, but it's not the lone spell you'd hope for Tim Akinola after what happened last year. Our other players who didn't quite feature, Tyrese John-Jules didn't make the squad for the FA Cup match with a lower league opponent. Uh, Ipswich rested a lot of players. Omar Rekik missed a few matches, but back on the bench, meaning he's fit, meaning he should be in the Tunisia World Cup squad, as I mentioned at the top of the show. Huge news for Omar Rekik in what's been a disappointing season. If he gets to go to the World Cup, I think he's going to feel a lot better. He'll probably then get recalled 
in January and sent out somewhere else. But praying for Rekik, uh, by the end of the weekend, we'll know if he is with Tunisia at the World Cup. Miguel Aziz on the bench for a 1-1 draw with Mirandas did not get in. Marcelo Flores on the bench for a 1-0 win over Granada did not get in. We have Mika Beerith still out injured. Uh, and then Mazida Gungbo did not make the squad for Crawley Town in the FA Cup or Burnley in the League Cup due to that injury he picked up in his return to the squad, which is unlucky because he looked great in that return. And it seemed like the new manager over there at Crawley Town was going to start using him. But we shall see what happens when he returns from injury. We do have a final weekend of matches before the World Cup break. Just to keep you updated on who will be playing during the World Cup and who will not. Uh, League 1 and 2 will continue playing. So that means Therese John Jules, uh, Arthur Nkankwo, Tom Smith, Ovia Jahiri, Mazita Gungbo, Tim Akinola. All those players in those lower English leagues will continue to play during the World Cup. La Liga 2 will continue to play. So Marcelo Flores and Miguel Aziz. And Scottish Championship. So Alex Kirk will continue to play during the World Cup break. Uh, as far as players who will not and will get a rest, Fuller and Balagoon in League One, uh, Omar Rekik and Mika Beerith in the Eredivisie. Uh, in the Championship, Harry Clark, Brooknor and Cuffey, Charlotte Patino, and Salah Adin Uladam Han hopefully will get fully fit during the World Cup break to come back and play for Hull City. Still haven't seen him play. Uh, and then the Scottish Premiership, Ryan Alabiosu. Uh, will get a break, uh, who's also injured. And then the Arrested Divise, that's that second division in Netherlands, will take a short break, as I mentioned. So Nikolai Moller, they'll have a match this weekend and then a four-week break. But that's everything over the last week from our 18 players on loan from Hale End. A lot of great performances, some unlucky injuries, some players who will represent their country at the World Cup. And we'll keep you updated. We're going to have Maybe some guests on during the World Cup break with less action from around the leagues. So we'll keep you posted on that. And thank you for listening to another episode of Away From Hail End.